Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning service of Sunday the 11th of September 2011, entitled, United We Stand, Divided We Fall. And the Bible reading is taken from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8-12. to 12. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand with us this morning for the reading of God's precious and holy word, beginning in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days... Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Father, we thank you this morning for the wonderful privilege that we have of being together once again today in your house Thank you, Lord, for the time that we've already been able through our song and through our prayers, Lord, to be able to worship you, to magnify you, to glorify you, to offer our thanks and praise to you. Father, we thank you for your word now as we have this wonderful privilege to turn into it. Thank you, Lord, for preserving it for us, placing within us, Lord, the Holy Spirit that is able to bring these words to life to give us understanding, and for that we pray this day. Lord, you do know the hearts of each and every individual here. You know the needs. We can ask for no more, Lord, than that you would take your word. By the power of your Spirit, speak to each heart, Lord, specifically concerning the need that they might have. In Christ's precious and holy name we pray. Amen and amen. The Apostle Peter of course, was one of the closest and dearest followers of our Lord Jesus Christ when he was upon this earth. I find it interesting as we look at his words in this epistle that through the Holy Spirit that he penned, we have before us this morning. For those who were here on Wednesday evening, we're reminded that, you know, we're not each other's enemies, even when we do the worst things to each other. We have an enemy, and his name is Satan. He is the one that is out to destroy. I've said many times in many different ways from this pulpit that, you know, so many times when somebody wrongs us in some way, it may be by something they say, it may be by something that they do, but when we are wronged, it is not always easy to forgive. (laughs) Those things keep haunting our minds, and we remember them and they're there. We find that, I've shared with you many times, remember, it's not that person. If they're lost, their greatest need in all of the world is for the Lord Jesus Christ to save them and come into their lives. They are acting the way sinners are supposed to act without Christ. If they're your brother or sister in Christ, They are not your enemy. 
Remember that Satan can use any of us. And most often he will use the ones that are the dearest and nearest to you because they can have the greatest effect upon you. Peter was one of the nearest and dearest to our Lord upon this earth. And yet, do you remember the words that Jesus said to Peter when he said, Get thee behind me who? Not Peter. Get thee behind me, Satan. Peter wasn't the devil. But at that moment in time, what Peter was saying was coming straight from the devil. It was the devil that was the cause. It was the devil that was the influence. And we've looked at a few things over the past few weeks, especially last Sunday evening and this past Wednesday evening. But as we look at this passage, now Peter doesn't begin here in verse 8 saying finally because it's the end of the epistle. But finally, because of all the other things that he's already told them in these preceding verses about how important it is to be obedient and subject to those that have authority and power over them, how important it is this relationship between the husbands and the wives. And, of course, here, though, he's speaking of that relationship between brothers and sisters in Christ. The devil will certainly try to divide. It's a saying that's been used many times in history. Matter of fact, I tried to go back and look and say, well, when was this, where did this really originate from? The nearest I could find, the closest record goes back to some six or 700 years before Christ. And it's been used many times by many people, by nations, by groups of people. The simple saying that says, united we stand. Divided, we fall. And that's our thought this morning. United, we stand. Divided, we fall. You see, Satan likes to divide. Many of you know that I know. Perfect love casteth out fear. As Christians, we ought not to have to fear anything because Jesus has promised to be with us every step of the way. Circumstances don't matter. But the truth is, we still get fearful sometimes, though he doesn't want us to be. And of course, one of my great fears for you as your pastor, I know how cunning Satan is. I know how subtle he is. We said on Wednesday evening, he doesn't usually come in with his bright red suit and his pointed tail and his pitchfork and his horn sticking up and say, here I am, I'm coming after you. No, his greatest tactic is to come to you subtly through the people close to you, the people you care about, the people you love, the people that he can use to have the greatest effect upon you. Now, I'm not going to go there, but many of you know that when we went away in 1995, when we came back, it was one of the worst times of my entire life that I have ever lived because of what Satan had done, not people. It surprises me sometimes. It shocks me what people do. But I do know that in the end, it's Satan that's behind it all. He wants to destroy. Why is he called the destroyer? Why does the Word of God spend so much time warning? And so I guess in some of my parting words to you for these next few months, 
I want you to remember that united we stand, divided we fall. United, first of all, with the Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> You've got no chance without him, folks. You've got to be at one with him. And if we're at one with him, we've got to be at one with each other. This morning in this service, we have the Lord's table before us, which we'll be partaking of in just a little while. The Lord Jesus Christ gave us this for a number of reasons. But we know that most of it comes right back to the point so that it will focus us, our attention, upon remembering him. He knows all the distractions that are about and all the things that we're going to have that are going to take our focus away from him and that would divide us. We find the rebuke that was brought upon the church at Corinth because of their misuse of this table. They were all in the church. They were all there celebrating the Lord's table but they were not at one with each other. They were not united as one with a body. As a matter of fact, Paul goes to great detail to show that they were making a mockery of this table. They were more concerned about what they had and showing off what they had and doing their thing and not even looking upon the needs of the others. You see, the songwriter said, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Jesus gave us this table that we would remember. And above all today, we must with ourselves not be divided in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil will try to bring little things in your life that sometimes we don't even stop to pause or think about it being sin that would divide us from our Lord and divide us from each other. We find that in Acts chapter 15, verses 7 to 11, the Word of God says, And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago God made choice among us that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as he did unto us. Put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved even as they. I read that because, you know, sometimes people fight over really bad, nasty things because somebody does something that's just obviously evil. You know, many times the divisions come over some of the best things. The disciples were going to take the gospel to the Gentile people. The Jews didn't think that was right. <laughs> this had been their God. And they're trying to take the Old Testament and place that yoke upon uh, the New Testament saints. Peter said, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? 
Why are you putting a, a, a yoke upon us to keep us from doing what God wants us to do? Taking the gospel so that they, the Jews and the Gentiles, could be saved. We have no greater purpose in this life. I know we get awfully sidetracked. Our lives and our time get so filled with going out and earning all this money so that we can have all of these things so that we can enjoy happiness of some sort. And our lives are literally filled. It's not that we're not busy. It's not that we're lazy. It's just that there's so many things going on. And God gets the leftovers if there are any so many times. We just don't have time. I don't say this to be mean. And I wouldn't even begin to put it into a percentage. Guess what percentage of this population was out there on the streets yesterday morning trying to give the gospel to a lost and dying world? And I would ask you to ask yourself, what more important thing is it in your life? What is it that's more important that's worth not worrying about those people dying and going to hell? What's more important that you don't have the time for God? You see, it's, it's not always the bad things. God uses not only the good things like sharing the gospel, but he uses your everyday life to crowd things out so that, in fact, there's just no time left to do the things that he left us to do. Why has he left us upon this earth? So that you can earn more money, have a newer car, maybe a nicer home, I don't think God has any problem with you having those things. But I think it's pretty serious when we begin to think that's why we're here. And that's what takes our life. And that's what our life is spent on, are those things. Rather than the thing that he left us to do, that's to get the precious truth of this gospel to a lost and dying world. You see, as we look at this passage here, he came down, and I, I want you to understand. I'm not pointing my finger at you without pointing, what is it, three back at myself? <laughs> We're all guilty. The truth is we ought to be doing everything in our power to stay at one with him and to stay at one with each other. What is it? What is important enough in your life that you honestly believe it's so important that it's worth separating you from the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, but I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Praise God for that. But I can tell you this morning that one of the reasons that he gave us this table is because he said that we need to examine ourselves. And it's his desire that we would examine ourselves, that we would be honest with ourselves, and that in doing so that we would deal with whatever needs to be dealt with so that we don't have to face his chastening. I know, boy, the world hates that word today. They don't think that a loving God could possibly bring anything into your life that was difficult to handle. The Bible says that if he doesn't chasten you, you're none of his. God chastens because he loves us, because the consequences of sin, even in your life as a Christian, in the separation because, folks, I promise you, united with him, you'll stand. 
divided from him, you'll fall. It might be one sin today. It'll be more tomorrow and more the next day. We find that he gave us this table to remind us. It's a time of examining. Oh, preacher, that's not fun sometimes. No. And I realize it breaks my heart today when I look around and I see that so much of our Christianity, our Christian churches, that they come together just like we do here. You know, we don't come together for the purpose of making each other miserable. <laughs> You'd think so sometimes with the looks on our faces, but we don't. But we don't come together for the purpose of entertaining each other either. <laughs> we come together for the purpose of being one before our Lord. You see, you got to keep this in mind. What's so important? What, what could somebody do that was bad enough that you would say, yes, that's worth severing my relationship with the Lord. Oh, I'll go to heaven one day, but whatever days I've got left here, I'm going to do it with that relationship not being what it ought to be. Well, let me ask you this. If God has placed you within a body, And if you've been here any length of time, you know. Take the Word of God. Why does so much of the New Testament, why is it written to the churches just like we are here this morning? Why does it place so much emphasis upon that? And why does the devil try so hard to tear it down and to weaken it and to destroy it? I challenge you today to take the Word of God and show me even one place in there where he would have you go it alone. You've got to be willing to go it alone. You've got to be willing to stand. But there's no one there that says that's the way he wants you to do it. He wants you together with the body. We're not some social club. We don't operate like a social club. We're not a business. We don't operate like a business. Folks, this is the body of Christ. And I'm not talking about some universal, invisible body out there that everybody's part of, so that's all we need. Folks, the whole word, the whole word ecclesia, the whole word that we have translated church in our Bibles, It is a called-out assembly. Guess what? That universal body, that body of Christ that will be together, that assembly will be called out at the rapture when Jesus comes back. We haven't been called out of here yet to be brought together as that called-out assembly. Right now, we are together as a body of Christ in a local visible body like most of your New Testament is written to. Now, what price would you pay What is it worth in your life? What could somebody do that was important enough or bad enough that you say, yep, that's worth severing my relationship with Jesus? And yet how many times over petty things do we do that very thing when we sever our relationship with the body of Christ? We're not just some club to come in and gather together and 
be happy, be sad, do whatever, you know, and do our own thing. God says we're one body. We're all part of that body. We're all working together in one. Jesus Christ himself is our head. I'm saying to you folks, as God has placed me here as your shepherd, I love you dearly. I know. Day by day, week after week, month after month. Most of you never comprehend how many times that Satan is attacking somebody else in this fellowship. Somebody said something they shouldn't have said. Somebody did something they shouldn't have did. Somebody went somewhere. Somebody, somebody did something that the divisions all the time, continuously, because united we stand. Divided, we fall. We've said many times that, you know, we live in a day when it seems that more churches are started by division than by multiplication. <laughs> we should be multiplying and sending people out. But instead, so many of the new churches are started because the ones that are together can't get along and they've got to divide and split and go somewhere else. But they can do it their way. He wants to divide. What we so seldom realize is that how vital that is to the work of the Lord. We find that in this passage here, Peter is giving them some very simple instruction. I've got lots of notes I could give you, but I want to give you a few simple things because time will evade us. Notice what he says here. First of all, I want to give you three things. and I, I, I didn't even take time to literate this like I do a lot of times for you this morning. I want to give you three things that as we look here, three things concerning the unity of we as believers. One, some things concerning our emotions, how we feel. That's used, that doesn't everything tend to begin inside? Anybody ever got mad on the outside before they felt angry on the inside first? <laughs> you ever got upset with somebody without thinking about what they had done? You see, his first instructions here is concerning our emotions, our feelings. Secondly, it's concerning our speech, the words that we speak. And thirdly, it's concerning our actions, the things that we do. But it begins inside. And notice he says here in verse 8, he says, Finally, be ye all of one mind. Now, that's what we talked about on, on Wednesday evening, that oneness, that accordness with one another. But the only way that that unity is going to be, he goes on, he says, he says, Be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, having compassion one of another. What does it mean to have compassion? Well, it's the same word that we get our word sympathy from. It's really this interchange of feelings. It can be expressed in joy. It can be expressed in sorrow. We find that we speak of compassion. It's feeling for someone else, having compassion one for another. 
Remember, we've looked many times when Jesus looked on the multitudes and had compassion upon them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He hurt deep down inside himself because he cared for them. Bible said is, you know, have compassion. Have sympathy. If somebody else is struggling, if somebody else has tripped up, if somebody else has fallen, if somebody else has done something wrong, or if they've done something good, have compassion for them. Feel for them. He says, love as brethren. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this shall all men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. If ye have love one to another. Jesus says you need to be at one. You need to have compassion. You need to care about each other. You need to Love one another. And of course, we need to love like he loves. God's love is unconditional. God's love is not based upon what you do for him. He loved you enough that while you're his worst enemy, he loved you so much in that state that he was willing to go and die on Calvary for you. Love one another. Notice he says, be pitiful. Be pitiful. It's speaking of being tenderhearted. It, it, it ties in with the compassion, those feelings that we have, though. He's saying, be tenderhearted to one another. Don't be so quick to, 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 to judge and to come to wrong conclusions. It's the same word that we find back in Ephesians chapter 4. And he says there in Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 32, he said, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Wow. Did you deserve forgiveness when you got forgiveness? Was there something that you could do for God that made you so valuable, so important that he was going to save you regardless? None of us deserved it. It was by God's grace. He said, be tenderhearted. If they mess up, forgive them. Remember. Remember how Christ just forgave you unconditionally. Be willing to do that for one another because guess what? Guess what? We're all going to mess up sometimes. Every one of us, we're going to get it wrong. And he's trying to express here the, the feelings as the body of Christ, as his that we should have one for another. This compassion, this love that is unconditional, this tenderheartedness that is willing to forgive just like Jesus forgave. Be courteous. He's talking about being friendly, being kind. Now, the simple truth is, is that so many times we can 
miss the subtleties of these words. Most modern translations have changed this word, relating it to something to do with being humble-minded. The simple truth is, you know, humility is good. That's a pretty important thing in the Bible, isn't it? But it's not what's being spoken of here. It's much more than just being humble. It is that which comes from that humbleness in our dealings with one another. He gives us a very important statement then. He says, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called that you should inherit a blessing. One thing the Bible teaches us is that as a child of God, if somebody does something wrong for you, just to accept it as, as part of your suffering for Christ. As being a child, no, as a child of God, don't worry about getting even with them. Though your flesh wants to so bad, contrary-wise, don't just try to get even. Don't just argue with somebody for the sake of, even though you know that you're the one that's right. I mean, when have you ever been wrong, you know? You know with absolute certainty that you're right and they're wrong. He's saying, forget it. Don't prove your point. You know, you know you're right. It doesn't matter if they do or not. So. <laughs> but that's what he's trying to get across to us here. You know, it's like they say something bad about you. Natural reaction, turn around and say something bad about them back, right? But he's saying, no, no, no. Grace. They say something bad about you, Romani. Say something really fantastically good about them. But that will cook their goose worse than anything bad you could ever say. But as Christians, you know, our flesh, we still live with a sin-cursed flesh. But that's not us. We live inside this body. One day we'll have a new one, praise God. But right now, you see, you need to treat each other with grace. They do something wrong to you. Think of the best thing in the world you could do for them. Just like when Jesus died on the cross for you. They say something bad about you. And try to think of the best thing you can say about them. Don't render evil for evil. Don't give them bad actions for bad actions. Not railing for railing. Don't argue back and, and say things back to them because they said them to you. But contrarywise, be a blessing to them. And it'll be a blessing to you. That come easy? That come natural? No. But you see, that's why the devil uses these things. Always, always, no matter how much they deserve for you to say or do something bad back to them, do just the opposite. Your goal as a Christian is that they can see Christ to you. What would Christ do? What, what would Christ have done to you in your sin if he had acted like your flesh wants to act and my flesh wants to act? But he did the very opposite of what we deserved. He did the very opposite of what should have been coming to us. We find that 
It's very interesting when he says, knowing that ye are there unto called that you should inherit a blessing. We're called as Christians to be as much like our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying to us here. Let me ask you something else. If you want to be a little bit more selfish about it, just in case, it's not just what you're doing to them, but would you rather win that argument or would you rather have the Lord just pour out a huge big blessing on top of you? <laughs> you can win the argument if you want and just lose out on the blessing altogether. Let them win the argument. Take the Lord's blessing. It'll be better, I promise you. It'll be many times better than anything. But you see, all this has to do with what's inside us. Are we going to react the way that our sinful flesh will automatically, and yes, we can rationalize it and we can prove that, it's, that, it, that we're not wrong and that they deserve it and all these things. But he's talking about us being one, and he's talking about what it takes for us to truly be unified. That's to treat each other like Jesus would. All these are just a few of the simple emotions that are going to be taking place in our lives that Satan is going to play with. I just got to give you these quick. Notice what he says there in verse 10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. He that will love life and see good days. I don't have time to go into all of it, but I can promise you there that he's not talking about the millennium, and he's not talking about the good days that will come when you get to heaven one day. This is all in the present tense. To see good days right now. In other words, those that desire or will or mean to, to love, that's our goal. If that's our intention, what's coming from inside, what he's trying to point out here, if what's coming from in, in there is to do these things that he's just mentioned, to show the love and the grace then it's got something to do with what comes out of our mouth, our tongues. Anybody need me to explain what evil is when we speak something that's evil? What about the word guile? We may not use that every day now, but it still means the same thing it did then. That's basically deceitfulness. To speak something that is deceitful, that is misleading to someone else. I want to give you just a couple of verses, and I'm not going to make much comment, but in, in the book of James, in James chapter 1 and verse 19, I'm just going to give you a few verses just to remind us. He says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Down in verse 26, if any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. 
It's worthless. It has no meaning to it. In chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. You have seen the news this past week. All kinds of huge fires breaking out in, in Texas because of the dryness out there. Guess what? It all begins from a spark somewhere. Very simple illustration he's giving us. Might be a little spark that comes from your tongue, but it can ignite a huge fire. We find that in, chapter, in verse 10 of, of chapter 3, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Chapter 4, verse 11 Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. You find that it's awful easy to use our tongue to, to judge others, to speak of the horrible things that others may do. But James is giving us warning Paul did also in writing to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And notice what he says there in verse 20. He says, For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I would, that I shall be found unto you such as ye would not. We're not going to find each other as we ought to, lest there be debates envyings, wraths, strifes, backbitings, whisperings. Why do you normally whisper something? Because you don't want somebody else to hear it, right? The problem is that most of our whisperings that we don't want somebody else to hear, there's a reason why we don't want somebody else to hear it. Because we ought not to be saying it in the first place. Do you know what so-and-so did? Swellings. Tumults, it goes on. Notice what he wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 29. He said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Now, folks, I'm not going to say a lot there except this. We could park there a long time. But basically, if you let us put it into to modern-day terminology, he's saying, if what is coming out of your mouth, the words that you're speaking, whoever you're speaking them to, if what you're saying is not building someone else up and doing them good, then keep your mouth shut. You can rationalize it. And you know, so many times, there's probably not any one other thing that Satan has used to destroy churches, to split and to divide than the tongue. Words, gossip. The word of God can't be wrong. I know, I know that within your flesh you can justify it. I know that you can come up with some good reason why you're telling that person what you're telling them and that you ought to be doing it. I'm saying God's trying to tell us something here. Folks, since it was first spoken hundreds of years before Jesus came, united we stand, divided we fall. 
your tongue can split and divide. It's going to do something. Now listen, if you tell somebody and that person listens, then you're wrong for saying it and they're wrong for listening in the first place to start with. If somebody comes up to you and they want to start gossiping or telling, listen, I've always had an open door policy. You can come to your pastor with anything about anybody. Just don't come to me telling me something about old Brother Joe over there unless you want Brother Joe to be there with you at the same time because we're accomplishing nothing but talking behind his back. If it's something that's worth being said, then it's worth being said to his face, and that's the only way that it's going to accomplish good. When you're saying anything bad about somebody that's behind their back that they don't know about, it is ungodly and it is unbiblical. I don't care. You see, it all comes back to where we just left. It's what you're feeling. You've been hurt, you've been disappointed, you've been done wrong, you've got some really good reason. But it's going to vent itself through that little thing called the tongue then. He's warning us what, how destructive that it is. And the Word of God says very plain and very simple, bite your tongue. If that which is coming out of your mouth is not for their good, if it's not going to build them up, bite it off. Keep it to yourself because Satan will use it. I'll give you one other verse in Colossians chapter 4 and in verse 6. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Folks, we could say so much. I'm saying to you with all the love from the depths of my heart, united will stand, but divided will fall. Satan is going to be out to divide, and he's going to begin, first of all, with your emotions, your feelings, and all those things that are going on inside of your heart and soul and mind. And it's going to vent itself through your tongue. And I give you this one in closing in verse 11. Your actions. Your actions. He says, let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. What does that mean, to eschew evil? It's simply to shun it, to avoid it. Matter of fact, the word that's used there, what it really means, you know one of the favorite games that the kids like to play up there in the, in the game time with the, with the children's uh, Bible clubs and, and things like this is dodgeball. They love it. You come up with all these fantastic games. They love dodgeball. Well, that's kind of what this is talking about here when it's talking about eschewing evil. It's something's come at you, and you're moving out of the way to dodge it, and it goes by. Stay out of its way. Shun it. Don't have anything to do with it whatsoever. Bend aside from it. He says you need to seek peace. You need to, to assume it. That needs to be your goal. Not peace at the expense of compromise, but peaceful in our relationships learning to avoid that which is not good, things that will rob us. You see there, it might even be that gossip that's coming in your ear. What you need to do, lean away from it. Lean away from it. Don't listen to them. Oh, but I'll be rude. I'll upset them. 
be biblical. Speak the truth in love. Truth is, you're both going to be hurt if you listen to it. You want to do them some good, do yourself some good? So don't go there. Maybe they're having a weak moment. You need to have a strong moment. We find that Peter said to us here, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. We could look at a lot of things, but our time is gone. Folks, you're never without him. The good and the bad, whatever it is, can we grasp that? You can't go anywhere and leave him at home. He's with you. If you're his child, he's there. He sees everything. He knows everything. We've seen from all that we've looked at here. I don't care what they deserve. When they say the worst, you say the best. When they do the worst, you do the best. Let God use you to bless them. And I promise you, his blessing upon you will be far better than winning that argument or proving that you were right. Far better. United, we stand. Divided, we fall. Remember, united with the Lord Jesus Christ. You got no chance without that. But folks, this is his body. This is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't take it lightly. He's our head. If we put these principles into practice, that don't mean the devil won't be there. Don't mean you won't be tempted. It doesn't mean that somebody, man, pastor's going to go away for three months and nobody's going to make a mistake. Nobody's going to get anything wrong. He's going to be perfect over there and we're going to all be perfect back here. No. But when we do get the things wrong, when I do, when you do, when the person sitting beside you does, we'll approach it with God's principles, folks. It won't divide us. It'll unite us even more. We'll be more united than ever. As we take of this bread and this cup this morning, simple truth is we know from Scripture it's not just united with the Lord Jesus Christ who are remembering his body and his blood, but it's united with each other, his body as well. That's why he gave it to the church, his body. You and I, each members individually working together. We're going to look to our head. We're going to remember him. And I'm not even going to go back and repeat it because you've all already heard it this morning that one of the realities of coming around this table is examining ourselves because it's that sin that divides. Divides us from him, divides us from each other. He said, examine yourself. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This morning in just the quietness of the moment, I'm going to ask you if there's anything in your life this morning that when you honestly, genuinely examine yourself, you know that you know that that is contrary to what we've seen in Scripture this morning. Maybe you've spoken something about somebody. I don't care what you said or what your intentions were. You've spoken something that wasn't building them up. Maybe you've done something. Maybe you felt like you did exactly to them what they deserved. I'm saying today, if there's 
something in your heart. Because you see, the problem is when we come to the altar to bring our gifts to him, he said if our brother's got all against us, we've got to go back and get it right with him first and then come back. You can be divided with Jesus Christ because you're divided with somebody else. As we come around this table this morning, the last one that I'll have with you for at least a few months, I want us to be able to come together around this table as one. There's nothing in your life right now that's too big for God. He'll take care of it. He can take care of it. There's none of us here that are worthy within ourselves. All of our worthiness is in Christ. That's why it's so important in all of our feelings, our speaking, our actions, our doing, that we be as much like our Lord as we possibly can, that he be seen in our lives. Father, I thank you this morning for this body, for this church that you have built here at Bethel. I thank you for each one that you've brought in to be a part of it. Lord, I believe that you're still building this body. There are still others that are maybe here this morning that you've brought here, Lord, that well, maybe they need to make that commitment to this body. They need to be a part of this body. Lord, there's others that you will bring in yet. Lord, we're not interested in building numbers to please man or to impress anyone. We're interested in being the church that you would have us to be. We're interested, Lord, in being the church that's strong enough to accomplish the work that you would have us to do. I pray today as we come around this table that we can come as a united body, one with each other and one with you. And I pray right now that you'd help each one as they look into their heart. Lord, that if there's been something there that's been dividing, help them, Lord, to put it away. If there's someone they need to go to, give them the strength, the grace, the courage they need to be able to do that. And Lord, we thank you for reminding us in your word. Lord, that we don't have to be slaves to our sinful impulses, to the curse that's in this flesh. But, Lord, there's one that lives within us that's stronger. Fathers, we now come around this table to receive of the bread and the cup. I pray, Lord, that your blessing would be upon our time together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.